All right, Kiss Army. Welcome to the Kiss FAQ Podcast. Thank you for giving us your time today. I don't think it's into your head. I hope you don't do any damage. This is a Kiss-related podcast by the board for the board. We hope that you enjoy. Welcome to episode 114 of the Kiss FAQ Podcast. I'm your host today, Julian Gill, admin on the FAQ Message Board, and I am joined by Marcus Almighty, Mark. Greetings. Good morning. And the voice of reason, 69th Blizzard, Ken. Hello. And shortly we'll have our third uh, or fourth component added, and that'll be Rising Force Chris. Everyone's favorite moderator on the FAQ message board will be hopping in for the discussion of our topic today. Um, so I do want to just start with some, just a little bit of, uh, I guess, follow up on last week's episode with Jeff Westlake. And I totally misspoke in one part of it when I was talking about Nikki Six and Motley Crue. My thought did not come across from what was in here to what came out there. And I kind of made it sound, well, I totally made it sound like uh, Nikki didn't write any of his early material and completely ripped it off. What I had meant to say, and there's a long history of kind of some of the stories about what did go on in that band and how certain material, the stuff that I was thinking of in my head was public enemy number one. You can read Lizzie Gray's um, account of how he ended up with a credit on the song that he actually he suggests that he completely wrote and Nikki just lifted off him to use on the first album and essentially and I'm paraphrasing totally this information is all online or in the dirt or you know for Nikki's side of things uh, said well I can take your name off it and you know, you get nothing or I get to use it and you get something something to that effect the usual kind of thing that you hear which makes me wonder just exactly how much of other material maybe had input from other people that wasn't completely um, you know written by him there's no doubt that he's the core songwriter in that mm-hmm. band but back in the early days there you know it was a certain amount of that he was basically Sid Vicious on the bass so you know uh, mm-hmm. I, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and say you know yeah I can't fact check myself while doing a show it just doesn't happen but you know I don't want to leave an incorrect uh, or blatantly wrong um, you know comments out there just wouldn't be right and we won't even talk about the alive to drum side because not everyone is a drummer and not everyone's gonna count symbols but there we go other news exactly. and I, I've got a few little things to uh, to kind of mention today Nashville Rock and Pod Expo August the 26th 2017 Millennium Hall Nashville Tennessee now it's kind of early stages of planning but it's booked so it's going to happen um what's going to be really interesting about this is that there are a whole bunch of podcasts ourselves our friends at podcast at kst uh bj uh, rock and or roll and others um and forgive me if i haven't mentioned you explicitly because there's a pretty damn long list are going to get together and do an expo and there's going to be all sorts of things going on there's going to be crowdfunding going on for this um for this event and with a lot of really cool perks some of the stuff that the faq is going to offer is um you know you buy a certain or donate a certain amount of uh, money to the crowdfunding effort that you're going to get to be on the show with a topic of your choice or you just get to pick a topic for a lower price and there's going to be some um special faq related perks which obviously means bound fucking books and let me just tell you this none of what I will offer as a perk, as a book, is currently in print. 
in that form. So I will do something special just for the event. We're collectors. We like usually like that stuff. And there's some things, um, you know, August is the 15th anniversary of the first printing of the Kiss album Focus. So let's see if we can connect the dots on that. So there's more news to be um, to come out on that. There is a, I believe there's a, a public Facebook location for it now, and there's certainly going to be a Nashville Rock and Pod Expo.com website for more information. So I don't want to give too many details because it's all kind of in flux, but it will happen. I will be there if I'm. If I'm vertical with a pulse, I'll be there. Simple as that. Uh, moving on to the next season. This one just came out yesterday, and I'm going to hold up a picture, and hopefully you can kind of see it. And for those so, who are listening, that's Kiss Takes Tokyo 77 uh, Special Issue Magazine. Now, that's been put together by the same gentleman, and it's <coughs> been on this show, who put together the Kiss in Japan book, which uh, really received a lot of very, very positive feedback and... Um, you know, kind comments. So, A4 size, perfect bound, 72 pages, never before seen photos from the Music Life archives. Now, if you know anything about the band and Kiss, Music Life, Japan, especially those two encyclopedias they put out in the mid-70s, they were a fantastic source of a lot of really good photographic stuff, um, and, of course, high quality, being Japan. So, um, you can go to the FAQ message board for that, and I've sticky to post on it. I'll probably leave it up for a week, a few days. Um, but look for Baelish post on for details. You can basically uh, get in touch with him. It's good value as well, low price. Obviously, it's not a gigantic book because he doesn't want to compete with the legendary books that have already been published by Music Live. So very cool. Uh, another book, and let's see if that one can work out. This one's uh, been offered for uh, pre-publication for a few days now. It's called Dressed for Revenge. It's all about Kiss in Spain. So the Swedes had done theirs. Now Spain's getting into the action with 288 pages. And, and what he said is 1,500 photos. I don't know how that's going to work. I don't know the details other than what is on this. If you want information, email destroyerresurrected at gmail.com. And that's D-E-S-T-O-R-Y-E-R. E-S-U-R-R-E-C-T-E-D. Destroyer Resurrected, not two R's, where the two different words meet, just the one. So um, I'll try and put a sticky as well on the uh, FAQ message board. But um, it, he's up on Facebook, so if, you, if you're a member of the uh, Kissing Related Books group, great place to be. Because people don't just talk about my books, all published books. And there's a lot that I don't know about. So uh, that's that news. Finally before we get into the quick pre-topic is oh look at this beautiful picture i know someone's gonna like that on this on this episode right now <laughs> mark your cds out I, i'm just gonna i turn it over to you i don't want to even try and fill in any blanks tell us what's going on well thank you sir for that um yes I, my cd is out and there's just a quick picture of it there just really quickly for anybody who hasn't seen it yet it is nice. properly, professionally done. Um, first of all, before I go on any further, I'd like to say thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who had pre-ordered and uh, put in their order for the book, uh, book, the CD, and uh, <laughs> and uh, it went a lot better than I had ever expected. So uh, I want to make a quick, couple quick points here. Number one, you can still buy the CD from me 
same cost as it was in the pre-order. Nothing's changed with that. The only thing that's going to just change is that obviously there's a digital copy available through Bandcamp. I've been putting it on my YouTube uh, videos there where you can get a hold of the digital version of it as well. And I will be also putting the physical copy onto the Bandcamp site as well if you want to order it from there. But you can also contact me personally as well. Uh, keep in mind, I only made a limited run of 250 copies of this. And they are going relatively quickly, which is very surprising, which I'm very grateful for. So if you haven't gotten your copy, and quite a few people from the KISS world, FAQ, have ordered, which I'm, again, extremely grateful for. So if you haven't had a chance yet to grab one, do so, because it looks like they will run out eventually. And also, hopefully by the end of today, the limited edition poster that James McCarthy said he was going to do for me uh, will probably be seen either later tonight or tomorrow. He's going to give me the finished version. I will post it so everyone can see it. And it will be included with the vinyl press when I do it. It will come with it. And I'm just wondering, though, um, if I'll sell them separately as well, which I probably will because I think people will want it. I know quite a few people have messaged me about that, so I will probably make it available separately as well. I don't know how much yet. I'll get to that once I get the copies and stuff, and I'll let everybody, of course, know on my updates that I do on my YouTube channel. So thank you again. Like I said, there's only 250 of these, so you get a chance, and if you want to check it out, you can check it out on the Bandcamp so you can hear it and grab a copy because I don't think I'll make another run of this because I have another album that will be coming out in September that ties in with this record. So get it while you can. And I think that I will be also, as long as I'm vertical as well, going to Nashville with Mr. Julian and hopefully Mr. Ken. So it should be quite a rockin' time. So I'm looking forward to that. So, uh, yeah, I hope that... Uh, People will come out and see it, and I know Decibel Geek and those other guys are involved as well. So, oh shit, I awesome forgot. Time. I forgot Chris. Oh god, he's <laughs> doing, That's so, okay. I, doing I, so much. Lord. I covered Chris, you, Chris. Man, I owe I owe you something. Whether it's barbecue, whether it's beer, whether it's uh, a snow cone, whatever, I owe you something. Yeah, you know. So, you know, here's a, a round of applause, you know, to you and everyone who's working to put this thing together. It's uh, really a hell of an undertaking if you've never done one before, mm-hmm. and uh, you're doing it with great and good humor so uh you know hats off well i'm not taking my hat off but uh, hats off to you um mark i just did want to play devil's advocate with you um and itunes any hope for that i know Mm -hmm. someone's uh, someone's gonna always ask are you gonna do an itunes i mean i always get that with my books you're gonna do an ibook and then i sell three copies and i'm like well why did i go through all those hoops that you have to go to with apple and all the effort because they are really different um, yes, it is my plan to put it on iTunes. Um, the thing with iTunes is that they have this rule that you must have distribution in place in order for iTunes to pick up your album on there. Um, now, that is possible to do if you just add your album to, let's say, CD Baby. Once you give them a copy of it or two for them to distribute, you can then be eligible to go onto iTunes. So, But I also have a couple of people that I've been talking to behind the scenes were actually legit record distributors who might pick up on some of it mainly overseas i'm looking and um so if that happens then obviously it'll be 
easy breezy to put it onto iTunes. So yes, it is my plan. When it'll happen, again, I will let you know on my updates. Very cool. Thank you. And uh, I'm been... looking. Sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I'll All right. I'm just saying. I, I'm. I, you know, I'm happy for Mark, and um, um, I'm looking forward to receiving my, you know, CD in the mail. So <laughs> it'll be I'm, there I'm soon. Looking forward to listening to the to the whole thing. So I'm, I'm, you know, excited about it for you. Yeah, when we spoke yesterday, Mark, I mean, I told you I've listened to Ordinary Day, the the YouTube um, video, quite a few times. I've been really enjoying it. Very well done. So congratulations. All right, so let's it, get going. Um, well, Rising Force, everyone's favorite moderator on the FAQ. Uh, thank Hello, you for everybody. joining us. It's great to get you involved, and thank you again for getting Jeff Westlake on the episode last week. I've just mentioned that at the top of the show. Um, one thing I do want to do is mention someone else today, and everyone thinks the FAQ is a one-man show, that everything that happens there was me. Obviously, there's been a lot of people. You Chris, you're one. Gary is another who have given many, many years of help on the message board. Tim McFate obviously did a hell of a lot of interviews and information gathering running the news site. But I also get contributions from people, and there's someone who's helped me out a lot lately and over the last couple of years. I want to give him a shout-out and a very big thank you. Javier Boster you know, has done a great deal of stuff for me, giving me a lot of really good contributions, the stuff that will appear in the online tour archive, in the printed books. So, you know, I do want to thank him and everyone else. I mean, you know, people who help the FAQ, help the community. So uh, I want to thank you very much. Let's get into the first part of today's topic. Well, it's the first topic of today. And that's Gene Simmons recently debuted his solo band. He's got some dates coming out hooked up with Wizard Wizard World or Wizard Con. Or, uh, I really don't follow it closely enough yeah. to, to give a shit. But uh, he did an event in Vancouver on March the 2nd. And his band, I, the people who were listed on Blabbermouth are, I think... Phil Schaus, who's played with Krabby and Lipstick, uh, drummer Jared Pope, who's the rock and roll residency. All these guys are connected with that. Uh, guitarist bassist Jeremy Asbrock, uh, guitarist Ryan, who played with Hair of the Dog. Um, and, and they did some pr pretty cool set. I'm just going to play 30 seconds of the video that was up on Facebook. And this is uh, Gene fronting a band that isn't Kiss without makeup. That's Gene covering uh, who's at uh, Roy Head's Treater Rice. His set, and let's just talk about this quickly so we get on to the main topic. You know, he did Deuce, Radioactive, I Love It Loud, Christine 16, Roy Head's Treater Rice, Cold Gin, Calling Dr. Love, a cover of En Vogue's Don't Let Go. Uh, so I don't know how long that actually lasted, but That's Gene, crazy. good for you. Oh, the, the, the very ironic Money by Pink Floyd, mm. Parasite. Mm -hmm. Six three four five seven eight nine Wilson Pickett, not uh, what's the other one? F uh, fuck it, John, Tommy Two Tone. I think it was. Uh, I don't remember in the eighties. War Machine, nothing to lose. Six seven five three nine. Yeah, bingo. Thank you. Um, 
nothing to lose, let me go rock and roll, and rock and roll all night. So he put together basically a 16-song set. He fronted it wearing that god-awful sports jacket. I think, did he have the, the red... Uh, you know, it's like music time with Grandpa Gene. Um, all that's missing is uh, all that's missing is a rock. Yeah, all that's missing is a rocking chair. But I gotta, I gotta say, straight up, he sounded fucking fantastic to me. Um, he played everything I would have kind of expected. You knew War Machine was gonna be in there. You knew I Love It Loud. I didn't think Radioactive was gonna get out again. So you know, congratulations, Gene, on doing that. I thought. I hoped actually we'd see more from that solo album and thank yeah. goodness mm-hmm. and count your blessings. He didn't go near asshole. So uh, <laughs> let's just, let's just do a quick yeah. thought, um, go around each of you and just give your thoughts of, of the show. Uh, Chris, let's start with you. Good for him. Uh, if he needs to get this out of his system and unfortunately the best thing I think that this show proved is that Gene God bless him is not a front man. <laughs> he really seems to struggle with the transitions from song to song. He really can't, get that kind of thing going but musically he's on singing he's on he had a good tight band with him um good to see him not just do the same kiss covers and the old stuff that he would do he pulled out and did some of the other band stuff so hey good for him good for him i'm glad to see him do stuff like that you're as you said it would have been nice to see maybe some more of the the 78 solo album would have been a nice touch even though i'm not a huge fan of that album it would have been nice to hear something just because it would be so different from the norm for him but uh i applaud him for the effort and uh would like to see him do a little more and with a little more fine tuning, see how he could handle a frontman role. I'm going to jump back into devil's advocate mode there quickly and say it was a corporate event, and from the sounds of his dialogue with the crowd, they were a bunch of stiffs. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, hopefully, hopefully, when there's some screaming kiss maniacs in front of him rather than whatever he was working with, you know, they'll uh, get him to loosen up and maybe take off his jacket. Mark, what about you? Well, I think I'll echo quite a bit of what Chris said. Um, I think that he did a pretty decent job with uh, performance and stuff like that. Uh, the frontman role is something that is very alien to him, obviously, because he did a, quite a few no-nos that even the most amateur of bands are, have always been told not to do. Number one, you don't stop and start telling the audience that you need to fix your sound on stage like he did after the opening song. I was like, what are you doing? Like... He's going up there and saying, we want to sound good for you guys, so let's just fix our sound. It's like, no, no, that's what sound checks are for. And, you know, I understand. It was a warm-up show. You know, you got to take it all in stride, right? But the performances of the songs were great. I thought he did really good like that. The band, I thought, was fantastic. They were well-prepared, it seemed. Um, But he just needs to just work on making some sort of a flow and transition with his in-between banter. I mean, you really need to have that worked on, otherwise it just seems like amateur hour, right? So once I think he has that figured out, I think it'll be all good. Yeah, and, and just follow Paul Stanley. Come up with your raps for the tour at the beginning in the first show and then just repeat them every single show, and then you're golden. By the end of the tour, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need to come up with a unique rap every show if you've got little kind of story points for a song and i'm not mocking paul in any way i'm just saying you come up with something that you talk about after certain songs and you stick to that general theme every time you do the show simple as that you don't try and wing it it's not going to mm-hmm. work you're never going to be comfortable uh ken before we move on what do you think oh i think you know gene so, you know, true professional as far as, you know, singing and, and, and playing his instrument. 
uh, yeah, the frontman role is a little bit, uh, it's, you know, it's, he's, he's never done it. So he's, he ha hasn't gotten that down at all. I mean, that was always Paul's, you know, Paul's thing. So uh, as for the songs, I think, yeah, it's, it's pretty much almost what I would have expected for the most part, except for uh, uh, doing money, you know, you saying Pink Floyd, uh, uh, I would have rather have done the other money from, you know, the early 60s and like the Beatles covered, you know. Ooh, yeah. um, I would have rather have done that. Um, that would have been, I think, better. But, uh, yeah, he, I mean, he can do whatever he wants. Uh, and, uh, you know, the band sounded, sounds, you know, good and tight. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what they... Uh, do in the future and what maybe changes they do. I, I love. I would love them though. The, like just pull out charisma or something. Though. I mean, I just would love to hear that. Awesome. Yeah. So you know, congratulations, Gene. You just fronted a solo band for your first outing, and no matter how long you've been in the industry, you know, still a lot of respect for you doing that. So good job. Uh, I would like to hear some different songs. One thing, soundcheck you mentioned, and I was just listening to the Santiago '94 soundcheck. I think it's Santiago which is an hour and 45 minutes of them screwing around with all sorts of songs like reeling in the years uh, what is and what should not, you know, mm. loads of zeppelin stuff you know he has a very good r&b kind of early 60s background gene in terms of you know his knowledge of music so what you said ken about money the beatles version i mean come on that just makes too much sense rather than the kind of more overt music business one from floyd so who knows what he'll do next It'd be interesting to follow let's get into the real purpose of today's episode chris are you ready you... I'm salivating at this one. Why do you think after a 100-episode gap between uh, appearances last time, I was salivating to get in on this one? Well, this uh, past week has been, uh, yeah, the Spaceman. Tommy Cunningham Thayer, Esquire. His anniversary, 15 years of service with the band, and he gets a pair of cufflinks. And moves moves up in the organization and will now be uh, preparing fries, as well as doing gutters and serving spaghetti. And I'm just getting all of those out of the way now, because the FAQ, from what I've heard from people connected with the band, has a horrible reputation as being a bunch of Tommy haters. I mean, people who actually physically hate him and get sick of the prospect of even talking about him. That could not be further from the truth. I'm just going to grab something here. Um, yeah, I hate Tommy so much, I play his signature fucking guitar, okay? Apart from the fact it looks cool, and I did, I, I'll even admit I did take the Tommy Thayer truss rod cover off and replace it with a blank one, but that's nothing against Tommy, that's just pure aesthetics. <laughs> really, it is! So, um, we, we are not Tommy haters, we can be critics, and we can be harsh critics, and we offer constructive criticism and negative feedback, but there is no hate there. I have a great deal of respect for Tommy. As he celebrates his 15th anniversary of the band, the band would likely not be around today performing for all those people who don't know he's not Ace if it weren't for him and for like, Eric Singer. You know, he originally took the knife by becoming Carbon Kitty. Um, in 2001 when they got rid of Peter the first time round so uh, the message board is not TommyThayerSucks.com part 2 
it never was. We had a lot of people who did come into the um, into the board after that one got shut down, but there are people who love Tommy. There are people who simply respect him. There are people who don't like what he does, and there are probably some people who have no regard for him whatsoever because of black and blue. So today's topic is going to be all about that. And, um, you know, it was, what was it, 2002, March the 6th, um, Jamaica. So it was a private yeah. show. There was Nazareth. There was Scorpions uh, for a Russian so a wealthy oligarch of some description. I think he's an investment banker, and I do know his name, but I can never remember it. Um, so it, it wasn't exactly an auspicious start to his career. It wasn't like he was dressed up in makeup, as had happened during the farewell tour, being ready to come on stage, and it happened as a, as a miracle. Ace had left the band and said he wasn't interested in continuing. Gene and Paul said, well, we would like to continue. We're not taking our makeup off because we know where the money is. So, what were your initial reactions to the news that Tommy Thayer was replacing Ace and donning the Spaceman makeup? And that's kind of a two-parter. So, Chris, let's go to you for the beginning. The initial thing, Eric had already done it. So, there wasn't that initial, oh my god, I can't believe they put someone else in the sacred original makeup. That was already gone and buried. And, you know, it had already happened to Peter even before Eric Singer had done it, too. So, they'd already had imitations in the band so that wasn't really that big a thing it, honestly it was more of a okay they've decided they're not really gonna retire the the whole farewell was a farce and now they're gonna carry on okay preferable everybody everybody loves ace you, you really want to see as many of the original guys there but it was like okay so this is the person who's gonna step in and they've already laid the foundation that they're not gonna go back and do new characters again so okay here's the latest guy who's going to step in and imitate the original band and they're trying to carry on is it going to last another year another two remember at the time there was no thought that this was going to carry on another 10 15 years when this first happened it was all right they're extending the farewell a little bit more let's throw the stunt double in there to take the <laughs> take the stage going for a little while and we'll let the you know the understudy go in and do it for a little while uh, as far as throwing another person in there didn't didn't care for it one way or the other i mean i'm I grew up in that 80s hair metal thing, so I knew all those bands, and I frankly knew all along that Black and Blue absolutely sucked, so I had absolutely no really feelings of, of that he was the creative guy, but I didn't think they were going that direction anyway. So it really didn't matter that I didn't think he brought anything original to the table. It was, okay, they're bringing in a guy to play Ace, and that's what he did. Let's see where it goes. And I saw them on the Aerosmith tour. That was the first real outing with them, you know, not counting the symphony and all that. And it was what it was. It was a guy up there playing Ace. They took the t-shirt designs, photoshopped Ace's face off the Alive cover, and put Tommy's over his, and away we go. And it was just, okay, here we go. They're just going to try to carry forth the illusion of the original act. And that's it was what it was. It was, here's the new guy playing that role. Ken, how about you? What's your original recollections from back then? Yeah, I remember... I mean, I remember him putting on the makeup, I know uh, there was a good chance Ace you know, wouldn't be around uh, <laughs> based on <laughs> things that have happened uh, before in the past. And so uh, to have him ready and, and he's in the makeup and that sort of thing, um, I, you know, I didn't have a problem with it. It's okay. It's kind of like, okay, well, 
he's gone. They're bringing a new guy. Um, he's using Ace's makeup instead of new makeup style of a new character. Okay. You know, I, I wasn't like, oh, you cannot, you know, use that makeup. You know, it's it's solely for Ace. I, it didn't bother me so much. Uh, what bothered me, bothered me more would be advertising that it is the original Kiss. Uh, yeah, and kind of like Chris is going, where you're making the, the people think, or even the general, maybe fan, uh, uh, fair weather kind of fan that doesn't know much about who's who, um, and they buy a ticket thinking they're going to see the original Kiss from the 70s, but they're getting... No, they're not. I mean, I think I remember 2004, actually, or I talked about it later with my son, who I took to uh, Rock the Nation uh, tour, and and it wasn't that long ago. I said uh, it was, you know, Tommy Thayer back then, and he's like, I thought it was Ace. <laughs> no, it was Tommy. He did he he didn't know, you know, at the time. So if he was fooled, uh, other plenty of others were fooled and didn't know what they were getting. So, uh, as, so for the makeup, I'm okay with it. He can do it. That's fine. I had no big problem with that. Mark? Well, to be honest, I didn't even really realize that he was in the band until I had gotten this, the Kiss Symphony DVD because I had completely kind of trailed off and lost interest in them after the whole farewell tour thing. Um, I heard that they were doing the Winter... Olympics there when they which was the last thing with Ace, but I didn't even bother watching it or nothing because I'd already kind of checked out with Kiss at that point um, because I thought you know this is it it's done deal farewell tour boom it's you know they're they're done right so but after I heard he came on board and I saw the the video there I know it's Julian's favorite DVD of all time um, the the symphony but. Uh, <laughs> But I, I kind of liked it because I had gotten the Second Coming videos before and I had a lot of respect for Tommy Thayer. He did a lot of stuff for the band behind the scenes and he's one of those guys who I think the band really leaned on during some of these critical times in their years and helped them quite a lot with a lot of things, those conventions that they did and stuff like that. I don't think it would have went as smooth if it wasn't for Tommy Thayer, you know? And, you know, don't forget... If it wasn't for Tommy Thayer, there wouldn't even have been a reunion tour. You know, Ace didn't was shaky with his playing. Peter was hopeless with his drumming. I mean, thank Tommy Thayer, right? So, as far as I'm concerned, I was happy he was in there. I kind of respect Tommy Thayer in a lot of ways, too. Being a guitar player who was in a similar situation where I went into a band that was kind of well-known and had to kind of take the role of being, you know, yes, I'll help you out, you know, with the main guy, the lead singer at the time. And, you know, whatever he kind of needed and help, needed help with, I was there. And I understand that role and that position. And it's not the easiest to be in. But, you know, if you do your job well and you can do it, eventually people will come to respect you as well within the band. And I think lots of people do respect Tommy as much as they don't admit it. I think that without him, Kiss would have never gotten this far. And that, to me, is the bottom line. 
Yeah, and here's one of the things that strikes me. I've actually been obviously working on tour history for so long now that I've got like ads popping into my head that I see that you know going back to 2003, 2004, when people didn't know who was in the band. You know, back in the early 80s, 83, 84, even into 85, concerts were getting advertised with local newspapers just grabbing whatever stock ad picture they had. So in, in one case, there's, a, I think, a Crazy Night show getting advertised with a freaking elder picture. I mean, it, it, it just, <laughs> there is no connection between what is accurate and what is not. And, you know, even going back to, uh, you know, Creatures Tour, some of them got the Vinny picture, some were using Ace, and some were still using Dynasty. I, it, it was just one of those things, Dynasty, that those uh, Return of Kiss ones show up into 84 uh, being used in, in certain markets. So, number one, I feel bad for those people that, you know, they were going to Kiss and yeah. they were getting unma- unmasked and not getting Peter Chris and Ace Fraley. Instead, you got Eric and some other guy who, who you didn't know. <laughs> But could they have handled it differently, particularly when there was a almighty backlash when Eric Singer donned the makeup for, you know, just the Japan and Australia shows in 2001? Didn't they kind of figure that if people are going to react that badly to Eric Singer, who is a member of the family who'd been in the band for Revenge, which is a respected album by the majority of people, uh, including me, and including, you know, Mark, who's not a big fan of Bob Ezrin. Um, do you think that they were just, like, completely blinkered? That they didn't take any consideration that, okay, well, if people get pissed off about Peter Chris being disrespected by Eric Singer, they might just take a little bit of offense at um, Tommy Thayer, who I'm, I'm going to say most 80s music fans will have heard of him, to be fair. Um, you know, taking over, which a much more iconic role in Peter um, than Peter was. You know, Ace Frehley. Come on, that is far more I- iconic, and that's no disrespect to Peter. It's just a matter of uh, lead guitarists get more respect than drummers usually, unless your name's Neil. So, Chris, <laughs> back to, back to you on that. Could they handle it differently? Did they handle it right, or did they not really take into consideration how pissed people were going to get? I think they figured they'd already done it. We've already seen the worst. What what possibly more is going to happen if we've already put up a imposter Peter? All right. No one rioted in the streets. They had, they heard their rumblings, and Gene put out his uh, September 11th, September 12th, or that diatribe was. Remember that when all oh, about how angry the fans were about we we know you don't want imposters, but stop, it's our band, that kind of thing. You know, I think he's known that we've seen it already, and now it's just okay. We got through it. We weathered. People still came. Yeah, there was grumblings, and, and some people were upset, but we still got through it, and the show goes on. And I think that they take that attitude of, this is what we're offering, and it's what I'm feeding to you, you're going to eat it. And I think they took that concept of saying, the people will come around, and we, right or wrong, they take that thought that the image is more important than anything else. And who cares how Eric Singer drums? Who cares how Tommy Thayer plays guitar? They'll do a reasonable facsimile, but by God, we have to show the image of that original band, because that's what brought us back from the depths of where we were from that revenge, kiss my ass era. So as long as we can get that common fan come in and they won't be bothered by it, it's good enough. So I think they, I guess they figured they'd seen the worst already and what more could go wrong. Mark, what about you? Well, my first reaction would be, yeah, of course, they could have did something better, 
but this is Kiss we're talking about. When have they ever done anything correct, really? I mean, the the, the with them, I think they just figured it's our band and Tommy, they're comfortable with him. They've, he's been in the operation with them for a long time. You know, they slide him in there and they just move forward, right? I think that's really what they were thinking. I mean, you know how these guys are. The very thought to them of having to explain themselves to anybody, that just to them is just, I don't think that they, they comprehend. They don't, they don't want to do that, I don't think. This is our band, damn it. We're going to do whatever the hell we want. And they move forward, and they did it. I mean, personally, I think they could have played it a bit better. Maybe if they would have, you know, discussed the matter, or maybe did a couple of interviews or something, and discussed that they were bringing in somebody else and explained why, you know, he was a trusted person, blah blah blah. He was in Cold Gin, so he knew the stuff. He's a great guitar player. Maybe it would have smoothed over with some people, but I just think that they figured it wouldn't have mattered what they said. People still would have reacted badly to it in some degree. So let's just bring him in and just keep going and just deal with it as it comes. Yeah, fair enough. And come on, 15 years on, there are still people who are extraordinarily butthurt about this whole situation. And yes, some of them are on the FAQ message board. Um, <laughs> and, and you're guaranteed to know it every time Tommy does something, they chime in with something that just leaves me screaming, get over it. Ken? Yeah, I agree that um, they already did it, like, Chris was saying they already did the thing with Peter uh, Peter's makeup and you know it's not going to be any worse than <coughs> what happened there so they thought well we got through the storm we're going to go ahead and do it again you'll just you know hey you just kind of have to you know the fans are going to have to live with it um, so you know what can you do now uh, on the earlier point we were talking about about uh, my reaction to the makeup for Tommy. I just thought of something after that. And what I think eased it for me, for him coming in with Ace's makeup also was I saw him, you know, in the, uh, in Cold Gin, when he was in Cold Gin wearing Ace's makeup. <laughs> and it kind of like, when I heard he was going to do it, I was like, ah, okay, I see, yeah, that makes sense. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to be do the makeup and, and to do the Ace licks and, and so on. So I thought, well, you know, okay, so that I think that was part of what eased it for me when they uh, they when Kiss finally brought him in and uh, used uh, Ace's makeup. Yeah, he'd been on two Kiss albums at that point. Uh, you know, he was on Revenge, background vocals. He's on guitar on Hot in the Shade, on Betrayed, and and the two songs he he's got a co-write credit on. He's you know buried in those songs. So he's worked with Gene in the studio on two albums. Um, you know, so he and Cole Jin. I mean, I was just working on stuff for the Revenge tour, Binghamton. Uh, that sh- the the re- Revenge show in Binghamton. The same night, Cole Jin's playing in a club afterwards with an ad saying, "Bring your ticket from the Kiss concert and come see Cole Jin afterwards." I'm like, "Holy shit!" <laughs> I mean, you know, just just stuff like that's really cool. So Cole Jim, no, Cole Jim, Cole Jim, uh. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hear it from James on that one, I bet. Uh, <laughs> fuck off. Excuse me. 19 texts in one go. So Cole Jin, he really kind of, um, you know, did his apprenticeship in, in so many ways in a tribute band. So he went from one tribute band to what people called another tribute band when he joined KISS. 
because you know he had all of Ace's moves down because that's what was required as a, someone who's doing a tribute band. You're not going to be your own person in that makeup. You're deliberately, um, you know, mimicking that person who you're tributizing deliberately and excessively because all those moves that Ace kind of does, the leaning back, ready to fall over, kind of unbalanced stuff. You know, fighting with gravity. You know, it, it was all Ace's, you know, essence. So if you're going to imitate him on stage in Cold Gin, then yes, you're going to do all of those stuff. So you're going to do the kind of the guitar, where how Ace holds the guitar in certain ways during certain songs, you know, and all the moves that the band did. So all the choreography that were part of Ace's performance, he mimicked. I, I think my big problem with him in 2003, 2004, seeing him on both those tours, was that it was so forced. It was like he was the tribute band Ace Frehley in the real band, and there was just kind of a clash. It seemed forced. It was like when the, when the time that you'd expect that to occur in a song, and it, there he goes, it felt so unnatural, even though he's totally supposed to be doing it. It still felt like he was a guy who was in a dance band who'd been organizing. <coughs> yeah, go ahead, whoever has to you know, just step out whenever you need to and come back. Um, so it, it was very forced but he, he got so much abuse from especially Tommy Thayer Sucks.com um, justified and could there have been anyone it, you know if you were to pick a replacement for Ace in 2002 was there anyone kind of on the radar that you would have said well he should be in the band rather than the guy who's working with the band who's the backup who's the guitar guy who's you know captain obvious i'm sorry tommy thayer was captain obvious as, as a replacement so would there have been anyone else chris i'll go to you first on that well i mean if you're going the impersonator route you're stuck with tommy i mean obviously musically you would say call bruce that's that's your obvious answer where you say hey we're gonna make the band stronger we're gonna do this but that's not what they were going for they were going for let's do the 70s show let's give them that so i i really don't know where you go beyond someone who's already done that imitation already again tommy wasn't brought in the band to be a creative force and to be his own man he was that that role was specifically to be an ace imitation i know people don't like that but it is what it is he, he's an ace imitation and I, I you've already got someone who's done it i don't see if that's the road you're gonna go that's the best way to go i don't see how you're gonna find someone more established Who's going to be willing to do it? You know, are you going to say we're going to pluck the uh, the guitar player from Quiet Riot or Trickster or whoever? We're going to get Steve Brown from. Whoever. Are they going to put the makeup on and like, really kind of damage their own credibility? Because okay, now I'm a Vegas Elvis. You know, which is really the way that it comes off. I don't know where else they could have gone other than that. I mean, sure, again, <clears throat> musically, please bring back Bruce. Great, that'd be fantastic. But it just it would not have worked. Sh Throwing him into that role would have been even worse. I'd have felt terrible for Bruce if he was stuck doing that, because that would be something you could tell he'd be painfully uncomfortable with. So going the route of imitations, I don't know where else you go other than Thayer. He's worked out. He's already close to them. They don't have to audition everyone. They already know he's worked with them, so that's that's the best route for them. And they trust him. Mark? Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I just have to echo pretty much everything Chris said. I mean, really, the more I think about it, there was no there was no other option it was tommy or that's it really because it's well known that bruce said that he would not wear the makeup that he wouldn't do it so he's out of the picture as much as i love bruce and he's one of my he is probably my favorite kiss guitarist um but 
he, they, they had to go with him. Because, I mean, if you think about it, the only other thing you can look at is who else loves Ace that much and, you know, would, and was like a big rallier for Ace. I mean, the only people I can think of back in the time is when you look at those guitar magazines. You had Dimebag Daryl in the front cover. You had Snake Sabo and those guys always, you know, blowing Ace's, you know, horn, saying how great he was and that he was a big influence on them. But you couldn't imagine ever plucking those guys in there. There's just no way those guys would do it. And after all, like you said, there goes their own identity. They don't. They won't have one in Kiss, right? So it's completely pointless. And that's one of the reasons why I think most people didn't want to go into that because you lose your self-identity. You become a character now, and that's it. But Tommy, he, it's like he was being interned for that position all that time like since he was hooked up with gene it's almost like they were down the line thinking hey maybe we could use this guy even further than what we're using him for in the long run and it ended up happening that way and it, i think it's a perfect fit yeah here's the thing with tommy he was always their ace card you know yeah you know during the reunion come on you had a guy who could step in at any time i mean um and, and play, and if necessarily, you know, be dressed up to look. I mean, look at what they do with Eddie Cannon in '97. I mean, they show. They, that's when the taboo was really broken. When they replaced Peter for that one show and showed a willingness to put on the makeup on on a roadie. I mean, that's even to my way of thinking <laughs> uh, of people not liking Tommy even worse than putting it on a guy who played in a tribute band is putting it on a roadie. I mean, come on. I mean, yeah. the, the taboo has been stabbed with a fork. So you know, by, by that point, but what's the real problem with Tommy? Is it that he comes from a, a non-credible eighties band, black and blue? I mean, what other bands did he, he worked with Harlow. He worked, uh, he's on Take the, the door. Shake the Faith is a fantastic album. I mean, of all of Tommy's back catalog, that is the only thing I listen to. And I listen to that, you know, probably a couple times a year, you know, because I'm, I'm listening to Aerosmith and Maiden and all this stuff all the time. But I dig out Shake the Faith. It is really, really good. So you can check it out on YouTube and tell me I'm wrong. Uh, simple as that. But is it because it's black and blue? And I'm sorry, in the 80s, I saw them and I just laughed my nuts off. I, You know, they were just a band I did not take seriously. I had, you know, the the albums that Gene produced were even worse than, you know, the debut's okay. You know, it's one of those kind of 30% LA-ish, I know they're Portland, but, um, you know, 30% quality generic mm -hmm. albums. It's got a couple of decent songs, but it, by no means does it stand out. So is that where the problem comes from? You know, 82... It's the same situation. 82, they've got all these people who are coming in who are too well-known in so many cases, or, or too young, or the wrong color, or, you know. Would people have liked him if he came from a band, say like Tesla or, or Motley Crue, a band that had a bit more legitimacy than being third division, third string? Chris? Maybe. I, I think no matter who it was, we were talking about it earlier, the Peter versus Ace thing. Ace, for whatever reason, is just that much more beloved, so people were going to take that much more offense to someone going in under his guise. So if you brought in a more established name, maybe, but that person would have probably been subject to even harsher criticism. You know, if you bring in C.C. DeVille to come in, and he's all of a sudden <laughs> playing the role of Ace Fraley, <laughs> I think people are going to look wow. and be like, 
he's, 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 he, he's got the falling down part down, so... <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's what it was. I actually think in some way it kind of helped Tommy in the sense that as Black and Blue were a known band, they weren't a mainstream band, they never had an MTV hit, they were never big in that sense. You know, I mean, I, you look up and people will sometimes uh, bash Ace's solo success outside of Kiss the first time. Ace's lowest charting solo album charted higher than Black and Blue's highest. <laughs> you know, so Black and Blue, they were, they were known enough that you saw them in the magazines and knew who they were, but I think it kind of helped. I think it made the avalanche a little better for Tommy, that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. If he was a known name who was now lowering himself to becoming an imposter, I, I think it would have been worse. I, I think he's, he's taken abuse, but I think it would have been tenfold if he was a name guy stepping down to now be like, okay, forget who I am. I'm now Ace 2. Mark? You know, honestly, I don't think it has anything to do with credibility, really. I mean, they could have put in whoever they wanted in there and they still would have got totally, completely slagged. Because, I mean, sure, Black and Blue are not, you know, the the high point of the 80s. But you know what? Listen, how many bands can you think of, you know, that had the opportunity to work with, like, Dieter Dirks and with Bruce Fairburn? So, obviously, they had something going with for them that they had, you know, potential enough that producers sought and worked with them, you know. And that's the thing that always kind of bugs me about when people talk on the board about it, how they always shit talk, you know, Tommy. It's like, you know, listen, the guy... The guy was in a band that had a record deal and did things for quite a few years. I mean, not too many people that we can that talk on that board can say that they've done anything remotely as good as that in their career. So why are you shit canning this guy? You know, and the the thing is, I think it just boils down to the fact that even if they put in Eddie Van Halen into that spot, they still would have had issues with it. I think people just loved Ace that much, and he became such. Of a beloved member of that band that nobody accepted a replacement for him, you know? I mean, I think that's why some of these bands do this, like, like for example, Rush. If the ba- if somebody were to left that band, they just fold, because they know that they can't bring in anybody else to replace a, a, a member that leaves and continue forward. It would just not happen. It couldn't work. But, you know, Kiss figured that they could do it, because they did it with, you know, Eric Singer there, and they moved forward, and it did work. I mean, they've had, look how many more years they've had with with Tommy, but I think that they've had to endure a lot of, you know, egg-throwing and tomato-throwing because of that, right? But I think that's why. It has nothing to do with credibility. It's just that people grow to love these people in the band, and they just have a hard time accepting the band without those people in there. Jesus, imagine these people dealing with Deep Purple's lineup changes. I mean... God, <laughs> what are we up to? Mark nineteen in in in, in, in that band. Yeah, I, I lost my train of thought there. I, th- I thought I had something good to go on. I mean, Black and Blue. I mean, they had they had every opportunity. You talked about they were signed to a decent label. They had decent producers. They toured with Aerosmith on the reunion on their reunion tour in '84. I mean, how much better can you get? That tour did really well. Uh, they had they hooked up with Kiss. But look at the bands that Kiss were taking out. I mean, they started in you know the early '80s taking out bands like Iron Maiden, who went on to be bigger than Kiss will ever be in their in their best dreams. Um, bon Jovi went on to be bigger than Kiss will ever be in their dreams. And then they're taking out bands you know like Black and Blue, who 
you know, certainly certainly were not. What, what I always kind of wondered is, did Kiss do too, jo- too good a job of selling us the farewell? All of a sudden, you know, it's farewell. You're never going to see us up on this stage again. You know, did too many people get emotionally invested in letting go of the band that when they changed their mind, because I, I don't necessarily think it was a re-injection as much as I don't want to stop after all. You know, I can understand them to a certain extent, you know, with their personal challenges with Ace and Peter, maybe getting to a point where it was like, well, maybe without them, we can continue doing this. I, I want to keep playing music. I want to, you know, keep performing. I don't want to stop. You know, when I wanted to say farewell, it was because I really wasn't happy. All of a sudden, I've got lights at the end of the tunnel, and I'm happy again on stage. So I, I wonder if by selling us the farewell, some people really took that to heart. And when they changed their mind, holy shit you know it's like a woman scorned um and it is a woman scorned because 15 years later that scorn still brings out the razor blade so chris were you sold a deal a a bill of goods uh well i think a good part of that is the fact that a lot of people don't think there was a changing of the mind more than there was a master plan that this was what they were going to do all along from the first place that it's not like you sat back and said okay now we've been gone and we've been retired the farewell tour never really had an official ending Remember, by the time that all this happened, it was, okay, now we're just still going, and now the Olympics are added, and now so Ace is still around, we're doing this, we're adding a little thing here, a little thing there, and then all of a sudden we've now done this, and the symphony comes up, and now all of a sudden, the symphony was originally advertised with Ace, so now they get into that, and now it's like, okay, Ace is going to back out, and that's fine, but you sit back, and you're like, okay, you're continuing, the farewell is now gone, but you've never, they've never said the words, we changed our mind, it just kept going. It was okay, now this is the next thing we're doing. And I think it came off that the farewell was completely disingenuous from the beginning. And that's one of the things that I know got me. It's like, okay, I don't get this feeling that you've had some turnaround and now you want to continue because that musical spark has been invigorated and you want to get out there and do it. it. It just came off as like, okay, now you're continuing, but why? You've made your statement, you've done it. If someone's gone at this point, you're going to go through the trouble of replacing him and, and for what you've already done it. Now, we, without the forethought of knowing 10, 15 years later, now we're still at this level and the band would continue. At the time, the thought was if this is just carrying on for individual spot shows here, then all of a sudden the Aerosmith tour came. Uh, maybe they're going to do one quick thing that became a big, uh, a big landslide for them financially that they could say, okay, let's just do one more tour with Aerosmith and then we'll call it a day. And that's why we're getting a fill in now. But that's one of the things that I know got me that I took it as. Yeah, the farewell, it's one thing to change your mind, but it's another to think that you were duping us from the beginning. Fair point. Mark? Yeah, I think that it had a lot to do with it, I think, because I remember um, not only friends of mine, but I remember seeing lots of little segments on, like, you know, much music and stuff like that, where people were talking about how, you know, they were in tears thinking about kiss was wrapping it up now and even some of my friends took it really hard that you know this is it there's no more kiss now and you know they 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 actually seriously believed that this was the end of it and so i think that some people actually took that personally that when they came back and said okay we're now we're back baby and we're you know back and touring again that people are kind of like well wait a minute you were selling us here that you guys were leaving and you know i you know I went and got like you know hundreds of dollars in tickets because I thought this is my last chance in seeing the band, so I spent all this dough to do it. And next thing you know, you're back. And then the other thing I think that didn't help was 
Paul was asked about this whole coming back bit. Remember, do you guys remember that story where he said that he went to a car dealership to get his, his car, car washed on? Yeah. yeah, and he said that he goes, "When is your next tour?" And then it suddenly hit him. I, you know, those kind of explanations I think didn't really sit well with fans either because it just seems so bogus. You know, yeah. the reason to come back, and I think those kind of things don't help. I mean, I've always tried to do this. Is that even in my, you know, my band is nowhere near the caliber of Kiss and popularity, but I've always looked at my fans as people that I want to respect and to tell the truth of things about, you know, keep them in the loop of what's going on. If you keep people and tell them the truth, then even if it's not a good bit of information, at least you've given them the truth and not a lie, right? And I think that's the problem with this is that, like you said, Chris, it almost seemed like fans thought that they were duped because it almost seemed like they had a master plan behind this to begin with and people don't like that you know once 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 that happens you know then you have a hard time winning back these people and having them believe you from then on in well you hear the retro excuse now where people will backtrack and say but it really wasn't the farewell it was really just the farewell to the original band and if anyone can show me where they think that that was marketed farewell to the original band and not that the band were retiring how many yeah. serious as a heart attack comments do we have to make where they emphatically said this is the end? You know, so that's one of the things where the trust gets lost. Um, where where are we kind of up to? I, I I guess what happens 2004 the Rock in the Nation tour with Poison was not a very good result. It wasn't a highly successful tour. They kind of disappeared for a few years. Uh, you know, Paul goes off and does his solo album. Um, you know, 2005, they only did two events. One was corporate, and the other was uh, rocking the corpse. Uh, cores. Not the corpse. The corpse. The corpse. <laughs> You're on fire today, Julian. Yeah, I, I'll be on fire later, that's for sure. Uh, 2006, they do a little outing in Japan. Um, Paul obviously does his solo tour. 2007, they start doing state fairs. Um, you know, they, they kind of hid. They kind of dialed down their appearance. And I think they kind of, you know, it seems that they didn't know what they wanted to do in that period. They just took a few things to keep ticking over, maybe hoping that it would settle down. Obviously, I think it was Drunk Bastard showed up at a Paul Stanley solo show and shouted out, Tommy Thayer sucks, to which Paul responded, yeah, and so did your mother, or something to that effect. It's on, it's on one of the bootlegs. I mean, yeah. it's... it's it's legendary for you know just you go to a Paul Stanley show and insult Tommy Thayer. I, <laughs> I, I, I mean you know that's balls. I mean that that's a Kiss fan. I mean that's really what we are. We are very very opinionated and we are very comfortable in our opinions and whatever the occasion. I mean. <laughs> You know, they could be at a wedding and there'd be someone's Tommy there. <laughs> <laughs> so 2008, I, I guess, uh, you know, they come back and they're touring again and it's big, proper tours. And Shock Me comes into the set. I gotta say that, and, and this is personal taste, everyone's gonna be different. As soon as they brought back Shock Me, I wasn't happy. I really really felt that that was a complete disrespect to um, Ace deliberately I I felt they thought that okay we've had the character let's take it to the next level now and see how the reaction to this is I was just I I wasn't angry 
I was disappointed that they kind of felt the need to go there when I, for selfish reasons, thought that if they wanted to have Tommy do a lead vocal and do an A song, that Rocket Ride would have been the perfect vehicle to do something new, to do something interesting in the set. It had never been done by Kiss live. that they could have built a solo for him around that, so they're kind of using Ace, but not abusing Ace, his legacy with the band. So I was not happy, and I just knew that they're going to do this, and they're going to see if they can get away with it, and then we're going to be see- hearing Beth. And, well, Jesus, what did, what did, what did happen? What was what was your reaction? And, and Ken, we'll go straight to you on this, when they first did uh, Shock Me. With, with Tommy, was there any uncomfortable feeling, or was it, well, he's playing the role, it's perfectly fine? I, you know, how did you take it? Well, <laughs> for me, it was perfectly fine. You know, if you're going to do the makeup, <clears throat> you know, why not the rest? I mean, any song, any song Ace sang, he could, Tommy could do. He can do, I don't care if Tommy sings a Paul song, I'll tell you that tell you the truth at this point but uh in fitting with the space <clears throat> sorry the space character whatever um it, you know it works and uh i'd rather have him sing and shock me rather than singing you know out of this world okay uh if i had a choice um and which you know most recently he's been singing shock me right a lot lately so uh i don't have a problem i know a lot of people did it's the same thing it's the same thing with the makeup some people they just you know he can't do the makeup he can't do his songs he can't do his solos (laughs) but the thing is uh, you know he he does the solos and if he didn't do the solos like ace originally did him it wouldn't it wouldn't be the the great Kiss song it is because the, it's the whole complete thing. His solos are songs within the song. They've, they've always been, and uh, so I I don't have a problem with him doing one of Ace's other songs. It could be anything. Torpedo Girl. I wouldn't have a problem with it. Mark, were you shocked by Shock Me? Um, I'm gonna use a famous proverb. Okay. Mm. In for a penny, in for a pound. Okay, you, you you have him in the makeup, you know, why stop there now? You know, like, why the big shock that he's doing shock me? You know, like, he's supposed to be playing the spaceman. You know, what, what, are you gonna, what, what, is, what else do you want him to, to sing on stage, you know? I mean, okay, sure, maybe Rocket Ride might have been a little easier to consume, you know? Or maybe whatever, save save your love or whatever. Something else might maybe would have you know been taken a bit easier by the audience. But why why even look at it that way now? I mean, people were already upset at the fact that he's playing Ace. So if you're gonna make him play the spaceman role, then he has to play those songs, you know. So shock me, it is. That's that's as far as I look at it. Chris. I took it as just the latest jab. It was just okay, as we said earlier, this is we've gotten away with this, we've gotten away with this, let's just take the next. There's nothing wrong with anybody. Someone leaves a band, someone comes in and takes over their song. David Lee Roth leaves Van Halen, Sammy comes in, you can sing jump. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Play any song you want. I think in this case it was simply it was the culmination of everything that it's not just you're doing this song, 
it's you're completely ripping this this guy's act off. You know, it's you're dressing as him, you're moving as him. 2004, you finally got a solo. What did you do in your solo? You played Ace's solo from Alive. You know, it was it was. You got a stunt uh, theatric in the show. Let's copy Ace's rocket launch. You know, it was. This is just the latest jab of what we can get in. I think there wouldn't have been as much of a backlash. He could have done 2000 Man or New York Groove. Both of those would have been okay. Ace didn't write them. You could have done that and thrown that in as a signature Space Man moment. And maybe it wouldn't have been as big of a thing. But this is looked upon as Ace's signature song. And it just came across, again, not that it's wrong to play the song. No problem with that. But it just came across as we're doing this just to stick it to him. That's interesting. I just thought of something while you guys were talking. Uh, Maybe he should have sung Cold Gin. With that, you know, which Ace was singing solo, Ace wrote, and the name of his tribute band. I mean, that kind of, oh, click. You know, I I, I still think, uh, you know rocket ride but i also wonder whether gene and paul are just so into they have a list these are the elements that have been used in the kiss show throughout history history Mm. this is all that is allowed within the these are the parameters of kiss now and forever so guitar player or bass player with rocket launcher shoots something from lighting truss okay check gene's gonna do it this tour oh Ace used to do that. Okay, you're doing that. Uh, Ace used to do this solo. That's the solo it, that is to be. I, I think that there's a very narrow vision. And, you know, I would love to get Tommy on the show and interview him and ask him some of these pointed questions. I mean, did you come to go to Gene and Paul with a solo and say, hey, I, you know, I've got a solo? And did they say, no, we want you to do something like Alive because people are going to recognize that? I'd love to hear kind of the thinking from him. Did he ever try in rehearsals, you know, play a solo and they said, no, 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 that doesn't work. You know, how how do those kind of things fit? Did he ever come up with a custom effect of his own that would kind of uh, be a homage to Ace? You know, maybe a blinking guitar with the fretboard lighting up, you know, going up and down like a thermometer or something instead mm-hmm. of the body lighting up, you know, stuff like that. So... And, it's just when it's so obviously taken out of the KISS playbook. I mean, yeah, there's only a certain amount of plays in any playbook, and it's like this on sports teams, to use those god-awful analogies, you know, that every play kind of has existed before in some way or another, so we're, we're limited to what he's allowed to do. Um, I, I don't really know where to go with from there, you know... What, do you think that Shock Me was totally calculated to bring Beth back into the set, I guess would be the question, Chris. I think it was maybe the stepping stone. Uh, if you were going to do one, you've now done the other. I, I think they could have just done them both on the same night if they wanted to. I don't think there was any testing the waters. If they really wanted to, they could have just said, here you go, back to back, we're going to hit you over the head with it. Because, again, just like I said Shock Me was, Beth was without question <laughs> saying, let's stick one to Peter. There's no way that it had to be in the set. There's no thought of, oh, we, we have certain hits that we have to play, because I don't want to hear that. Forever is one of the biggest hits they ever had. They don't play it. So this, the set has survived without Beth for eons, and now all of a sudden it has to be played. That's nonsense. It was done specifically for that reason, to say we're taking a shot. No, I, di- I totally disagree. I think they thought, well, both our other drummers did Beth, so our, our latest one needs to. Eric well, Carr. Eric Carr didn't do it live, but that, no, that was... He, a, a, no, he did yeah. it. Didn't, what was the press? On the same stool. As yeah, in the same studio <laughs> <laughs> to the same backing track. So it was, so it's all fair. Ken, Ken, 
<laughs> talk, well, talk, yeah. talk is down. Well, oh, wait a minute. Now, I, I was going to say, though, that, uh, yeah, Eric Carr did do it already on, you know, many years before he sang it. Whether it was not live or whatever, he still, he put it on record. It's on a record, which is pretty, you know, solid thing. Um, so if they're going to get away with it, then I don't think they, I don't think they care. To tell you the truth, I don't think they care. They're, they're just going to do whatever they want. And you know what? It's most of the decision is really it's whatever Paul wants. And I'm sure Paul, it's all this makeup stuff was Paul's decision. I don't think, I don't think it was Gene's decision to whether to you know. Put, I think he said, okay, yeah, let's go ahead and do it. But I think it's Paul's the final decision for changing the makeup and who's going to be wearing what makeup, who's going to be playing what song and live if you know ace is going to play shock me or rocket ride for instance or or you know and if eric singer is going to you know do beth or not and whatever else so it's going to be all paul's decision and i don't think he cares he doesn't care he's going to do it his way or the highway it's his way it's not going to it's not going to be what the fans want he it's just the way it is he has his own way <laughs> things and he wants it done his way and like the way he wants to produce his the last couple of kiss albums he's he wants the control he's he was tired of not having the control i think back in the maybe the the 70s and the, maybe up to animalize or whatever um and i think it's just him and whatever he says is going to go yeah, I think Gene Simmons, if he was a dog, he'd be a retreat, uh, a Labrador. You know, just one of those really happy, oh, okay, 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 yeah, nice. You know, kind of Joe Pesci voice, you know, loyal, just just go with the flow and, you know, <laughs> there we go on, on that. Mark? Well, I had this debate once with a few of my friends. Um, I think one thing that people maybe don't realize, or at least that's what, this is what I think, or a couple of my friends also thought is, the, the audience dynamic has changed too at this point. If you think about it, back in when they did the reunion tour, they brought back tons and tons of the diehard people that had left before. They were all excited. The original guys are back. You know, let's go check them out and stuff. And then they did the farewell tour and they're leaving, you know, not never to come back again. And they did. And then all this stuff started happening with, you know, oh, they have a new guy in instead of Peter. Oh, they have a new guy instead of Ace. So I think what happened was i think in their mind they thought well you know what the amount of diehard fans that are coming to shows now are easily not as much as it was back in the day we have a lot more general public coming to shows now which i think is true when you start playing carnivals and you know outdoor kind of things like this right and that's that's what i think why they decided to bring these songs in is because you know what these people who are coming that are at state fairs for all they know, that is Ace and Peter up there. They don't follow the band diehard and vigorously like the diehard fans do. And I think there's a hell of a lot more of those fans around now than there were than they were back in like '96 and '97. I mean, look at when they re-released, you know, these like the Love Gun Deluxe. I mean, that didn't sell tons and tons and tons. That shows you how many diehard fans are left. There's not that many, really, if you think about it. So why would they care? You know about insulting the audience because really the audience probably doesn't even care and you probably don't even know that it's probably not Ace or Peter. So no. there you go. That's what I think. They just see a guy working his ass off doing the best job, 
you know, they, they see someone working hard. I mean, and now that he interacts with the audience, I think he's a much better performer. But I, I did want to bring up two other things, and that is, Eric Carr sang Black Diamond. Where was the outrage? Where, where you know, reading all those fanzines, that's Peter Chris's kind of singing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eric Singer sang Nothing to Lose. You know, um, and didn't he do Black Diamond as well? And once he was in the yeah. band, yeah. I, I don't remember yeah, off the top of my head. Yeah. So, yeah. It, you, you know, where was the outrage with that? I remember in eighty, what was it, eighty-eight when Smashes came out. I was not happy that Eric Carr sang Beth. I thought that was disrespectful. And then I flipped the page and I said, "Oh, it's cool to hear him finally sing." You know, so I, I immediately, and obviously everyone's going to say, "Well, Julie, you're not a real fan anyway because you became a fan with Asylum." But you know. And, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good point. I, I, I have I have no response to that whatsoever because I wasn't there in the seventies, so I don't have all this time and energy invested with the originals. Actually, I've got a lot of time invested with the band um, uh, for the, yeah. f- for what I've done. But back then, at least, no credibility whatsoever. Maybe still none, but that's beside the point. So, it, for everything we're talking about, singing "Shock Me," singing "Beth." And I'm sorry to go off on an Eric Singer tangent there. You know, it had kind of been done throughout the band's history, you know, that whatever has needed to be done gets done. So do you think that they hid Tommy and Eric, you know, once once we're into the current lineup? You know, was Tommy's participation masked? At concerts, because from what I remember in 2003, 2004, I saw them in what, 2005 and 2006 as well, for that matter. Um, they always said Tommy Thayer on stage. They never masked yeah. it. They never tried to hit it, but every no. to hide it. Every time I was at a show, and this is even into recent years, I've heard someone saying something to the effect of Ace played really well tonight. Ace looks great today. Yeah, I have heard that at every single Kiss show I've pretty much gone to in the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And that is not the fault of Tommy Thayer. That is not the fault of Gene and Paul, who always call out the band members' real names. I don't think it registers with a lot of those casual fans. But do you think they ever tried to hide it or to um, to mislead people, Chris? No. I mean, they've been upfront with putting the real names on the merchandise. Like I said, the only things that I found iffy were when they subbed Ace's face off and put Tommy's face on alive, that kind of stuff. But there was never any kind of thing where we're trying to say, this guy is Ace. They may have not gone out of his way to say, by the way, this is Tommy. Got out of the way to overdo it and promote him. But they never tried to say, I mean, with the exception of maybe that, uh, that 70s show video that they did where you kind of got the impression that they just wanted you to believe, hey, that's Ace and that's Peter. That was really the only thing I can think of where they maybe you could say they were trying to get away with it but other than that they've been up front and said hey this is the band uh, Tommy Tommy Thayer he's the spaceman now space ace character but all of a sudden it became the spaceman <laughs> when a new guy came along but they 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 really haven't hit it i don't i don't i give them credit for at least they've been ballsy enough to come out and say that this is what we've done and this guy is now he's now the spaceman yeah well they can't call him frank and ace can they mark what do you think <laughs> Yeah, I don't think that they were trying to hide it. I mean, like you said, I mean, I've watched lots of YouTube videos. I've been to quite a few tours, and you know, it was always you know Tommy Thayer on guitar. There was no like you know there was no hiding it. And they've always they and they even mentioned Eric obviously on stage as well. So I I don't think they were trying to deceive anyone. And really, there's no reason to, you know, why 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 deceive them? I mean. 
I just think it's a waste of time to, to try to do that. Better to just come forward and, you know, say who it is and move forward. And like I said before, I think for the most part, when you're at a show, you know, like I mentioned in a couple episodes before, you have those guys who are like half out of it beside you anyways. You're probably not even listening to half the things Paul is saying on stage anyways. So you're probably like, who did he say that was? You know, they, they don't probably even, you know, it probably doesn't even, they didn't even register, you know? So I, I think that, you know, I think Paul and them are just putting it out there. You know, they're saying who it is. And it's just whether, you know, the, the I think at this point, the audience just wants to be entertained and have a good show. I don't think this, those people that come now really care if it's Tommy or not. Ken. Yeah, they're not, you know, disguising anymore. I mean, uh, Paul would say, you know, oh, Tommy's going to sing our next song, you know, and that sort of thing. And um, I, I love it. I never thought about that. You know, I'd love to turn around and see, just watch the people's faces, see if anyone went like, who? <laughs> Who's he talking about? What? And like a, anyone with a confused look or anything. But um, yeah, they're not trying to disguise anything anymore and they, yeah they do say Eric uh, at least they say their names once at least once a, a show and uh, even Dean Simmons may say you know Tommy lead guitar or something like that um, when he sings sometimes a song so yeah they're not trying to disguise it it's it is what it is so let's I think the only way, the only place you can look at where you can say maybe they're trying to muck the waters on the merch when they put the stuff out now just as the Star Child, Demon, Spaceman, and Catman. And they're trying right. to differentiate that and just call them the character. But that's really the only yeah, way you can ever say that they're even trying to in some way do that. Everything else is by name and they're totally up front. Yeah. yeah. So let's get back to kind of paying homage to Tommy, uh, you know, because we're, yeah. we're talking about <laughs> 15 years with the band. Um, what would you say is the strongest thing that Tommy brings to the band? And I'm I'm going to grab the most obvious one that he's consistent, night after night. He every, every time I've seen him, he has been bang on. He plays the material for the most part, and we'll we'll talk about the weak stuff in, in a moment. You know, he, he gives 110 percent to the audience. He's really developed as a performer over the years as well. Going back to how he looked in 2003, and obviously he was a new, new on the stage working in that environment. He was not comfortable. He was, you know, awkward. He was like, he was like baby Ace Man. You know, he, he was just like, <laughs> like giraffe need. Totally not there. Nowadays he works the audience. He commands. His, his presence commands. He'll walk all over the place. He's out there. He's you know interacting with the audience. He's not doing any Vinny stuff, so he's not detracting or taking the spotlight off Gene and Paul. He's found a very good niche role in there of how he can have fun on stage and do things. And and musically, I think I've heard in all the performances I've heard him hit one bum note that that really <laughs> made me turn my head and scowl at him with laser eyes. Uh, you know, so so he's been consistent. He's been hardworking. He's you know tried to support the band. Um, he's been very positive. He, he's always very positive. I mean, all the interviews I've seen and read with him of those yeah. outlets who are lucky enough to be graced with an interview with Tommy, Tommy. Tommy, hint, hint, nudge, nudge. Um, you know, 
he's he's very you know proud of the band and what his role is in it. So you know that's all very positive. Chris, positive stuff. I think the most important thing he's brought is no drama behind the scenes. Just go out and play your role and do your thing. He's not the focal point of the show. As sad as it is to say for him, no one's going to the show today to go see Tommy. It's the Paul and Gene greatest hits, kiss spectacle show. Go up there, perform, do your thing adequately. Don't cause any trouble behind the scenes. And that's in addition to all the good things he does behind the scenes with all the production and all that. That's great. But the stability and lack of drama, I think, is the one thing that he brings more than anything else that Paul and Gene can focus on all the rest and not have to worry about what's going on behind them. Ken? Yeah, I mean, I just attribute to, uh, you know, he's a hard worker, obviously, and he's been hard working since he joined their team back in, you know, the late 80s, I guess it was. Um, and he's earned a spot. He's like going from the mailroom, and he, he might finally made it up to the, you know, <laughs> the board or whatever, you know, in his boardroom. Yeah, the boardroom. And uh, uh, he's earned it, and, and I have total respect for him and on the way he always conducts himself and and the things he's done and 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 you know he, he's kept help to keep this kiss thing going um and uh, i think you know paul ought to give you know tommy thayer a employee of the month every now and then maybe <laughs> something for all his hard work Oh, he's done, you know. Or, or spaceman of the month, maybe, maybe do it that way. Um, and so, nothing bad to say. He's done great stuff for them. The videos, you know, Casaldi and and so on, and and just contributing. And and you know, and hey, I'm glad he can play the A solos the way he does because if he didn't, I would be, I would not be happy. <laughs> I can tell you right, right now, if they were totally different solos that weren't anything like Aces and it didn't sound like anything I, I just like what the heck are you doing here um, so I'm glad he's doing it the way he is and he's a good guy Mark well for me personally I think that loyalty is the one big thing that he brings I mean he's he's been loyal to the band through hard times and good times and you know who knows what goes on backstage and stuff like that I mean there could have been some things that maybe he didn't agree with, but he's stayed loyal. He's never badmouthed Paul or Gene or anybody in, in the band, and I think that's really, really important because when you when you do that, you know your bosses, you know, will have more respect for you, and probably loosen the reins a little bit and let you become more involved. I.e., like his business sense is fantastic. I think you know tommy and i mean it shows i mean he's produced so many of their dvds and stuff like that like you know they can't help but mention like on wikipedia the multi-platinum selling rock the nation that he produced you know and stuff like that so i mean but i mean he he's good at those kinds of things and i think those kind of things only benefit kiss you know being involved with stuff like that and i think also another thing that i really admire about him is the whole philanthropy end of stuff with him as well i mean you know he he had a he has a signature amp head from Hughes and kettner yeah. and the profits that he gets from that he gives to a hospital a children's hospital the profits toward it i mean that's really that's really classy you know yeah. the guy to do that i mean no offense to ace but he ain't sending no proceeds to anybody from his stuff you know so i think that that has that gives a big thumbs up from me to mr tommy thayer for that so, 
I think that number one is the loyalty, and I just think his business sense is second to none, and I think he's the best business ace that they have. Nice, nicely put, and uh, I'll, I'll add to that and how he's leveraged his position with Kiss to honoring his father, Brigadier General. Is it James mm-hmm. Thayer, um, who was involved in the liberation of concentration camps in Europe in the Second World War? So keeping alive, number one, the memory of the Holocaust is a very important thing to me personally, and also honoring those real service people who made a massive difference in, in the world. I mean, to to use your influence to have KISS doing fundraisers to help build a museum, which are going to keep all of those things very much in, in the public eye, is incredibly important. I also find it kind of cute, the golf connection that he seems to have. That's very Alice Cooper, obviously. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. cool. So let's talk about some of you know, what's his weakest link in the band? And, you know, he's got a history that goes back 20-plus years, you know, working with the band, obviously, the KISS Convention Tour, 1995. Tommy, KISS-tree, with uh, Eric Turner of uh, Warren, someone else who, who worked with them. Tommy, all the videos that you've mentioned, what doesn't he do well? And I'm going to say what he doesn't do well are solos by Bruce Kulick and Vinnie Vincent. Those, those are my, my biggest problems when I see him or listen to a performance is doesn't do those solos justice whatsoever. That's the only only thing. I, I mean, maybe he needs to find Vinny and have Vinny show him how to do them, just how how okay. he, he wants to do them. How's he going to find Vinny? <laughs> no one can find Vinny. Where, where's Waldo? You know, Where but, are you? But, but more than likely, he, he would be able to find him. But I would like to see him improve on those 80s solos. Um, and the revenge stuff. It, it's always been something that's just kind of stood out. And I'm like, what the hell? You nail Ace every single time. You just yeah. you just do these. Bruce is so effortless in how he does them that he makes always makes me think, well, he's a great guitarist, so it can't be that difficult, right, for a great guitarist. So just improve those. Those are the only things I'd say. Ken, what what's his weakest stuff for you that you'd like to see him work on over the next 15 years? Uh. <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's taking too long to put out Kissology Four, so that's that's a problem for me. Um, but uh, no, that's not a big deal. But um, uh, I agree with you on those other solos, um, though. Um, but otherwise, maybe his own uh, input into the actual songs. You know, if they do write uh, a new album. Um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, I can't really fault the guy at all, really, because he's he's just done done what he's needed to do and and for the band and and to keep things going. And I, I can't really think of things to knock him down on. He just seems like a you know a great guy. I I just hope one day that he does, you know, when the kiss thing is over, that he does put you know write a book. I hope he definitely writes a book about the whole experience. Um, even going back before, you know, Black and Blue and all that. And then to Jin and Kiss and the, the whole deal. So, uh, yeah, I can't fault the guy. He's, you know, I don't know everything about him. Uh, but from what I see, he's he's always, you know, respectful and has done a, a great job at whatever he tries to do. Yeah, I think that's probably line one in his contract. Thou shalt not write any books. <laughs> <Yeah. For now. laughs> 
Um, okay, Chris, what about you? I think his biggest weakness is when he has to be himself. I think he, in his career, Black and Blue did their thing, and it was what it was, but uh, he's made his living being Ace, and he can go on stage and go into that role and play like Ace and do his gimmicks and do all that, and he's fine. Now he gets into the studio. Sonic Boom, here's your chance. Here's your chance to shine. Go show me what you got. And my favorite review of that album is the one that talks about well, musical identity theft. Tommy Thayer, I mean, it's just lick after lift. Everywhere is just a complete direct lift of Ace. Not A in the vibe of, but okay, he stole this from She, he stole this from Parasite. It's all over the album. Monster, I think he toned it down a little, and the album suffers for it, actually, because Tommy being Tommy, he's not in a creative sense. This isn't a knock on him. This is him, the performer. This is he doesn't have he doesn't have that I think of his own he doesn't have his own voice to say and now and maybe some of that is being trapped in the role of being ace for so long that you're you're so accustomed to speaking in someone else's voice that you lose your own and I, I think that's kind of hurt him in the sense that when he has to go do something and go be Tommy Thayer not just the Space Ace 2.0 when he has to go be himself he doesn't have that vocabulary anymore that's a really interesting point, and mm-hmm. something I was going to mention is that I would really like to see Tommy do a solo album. Um, yeah. I, I would love to see what he comes up with now. I mean, you go back to the 90s, and who was he writing with? Mark Ferrari, um, you know, mm-hmm. some some of those kind of 80s cast-offs. I'd like to see how, you know, performing as Ace for 15 years and being so musically immersed in Kiss has changed him. You know, this is a guy who, along with Jamie St. James, was the primary writers in Black and Blue. So how does it affect him if he were to approach a solo project, which you could then line up next to Shake the Faith or Harlow or Black and Blue, and skip out the Kiss intermission in that sense creatively and see where he's at? Because I don't doubt for a minute that on Sonic Boom he was told to play a certain way. And that on Monster it was loosened, yeah. especially yeah. after they read the criticisms of being kind of forced to stay within those Kiss parameters. Well, you got to—it's. I mean, it's like uh, Bob Kulik in '77 for Alive too. You know, having to play like Ace, where mm-hmm. then you hear him on Killers and you hear something much more organic. So but we've been there before. So, you know, I, I would I would love. Even just one song, you know, for him to throw up on iTunes, maybe as a, fu- a fundraiser to one of his charities of his choice, to do a solo track and maybe get some guest musicians in on there. You know, it would really be great to hear Tommy rather than Spaceman. So that, that'd be very interesting. I'd also like to see merchandise. I'd like to see him step away from the Les Pauls. I know they're, you know, very much Ace's signature. You know, I. You know, maybe he should get himself a gold Jackson and play that with the creatures outfit. Uh, you know, really make make certain people's heads explode. Uh, There's a lawsuit coming. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, how about a, a pink double V? You know, no, I, I like to. I, I would like to see him come up with his own custom guitar that, you know, kind of takes something from Ace, but makes it Tommy. So, and I can't even remember what he played in the. I think he played Les Balls in the 80s as well. So he, he's just from that school. So maybe he's not going to pick up an Ibanez or or something, and you know, just go completely out of left field. But I'd I'd like to see him, if nothing else, given the scope to bring out a his own guitar of his own design of his own choice during 
you know, shock me or something. I don't know. You know, just just <laughs> something for him to start being more of an individual within that band again, rather than as has been mentioned several times on this episode. You know, rather than just being a um, an imitator. You know, playing the role. Chris, what would you like to see? I think I did mine, Mark. I think you're up. Oh, oh me? Yeah, I, I did this one already. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. I lose That's track of shit. No, um, well, getting back to what we were talking about before, I, I don't have anything... I don't think there is really a weakness as far as Mr. Thayer has to go, you know, because see, the playing... Okay, let's put it this way. As you said, he's been playing the role of Ace for so long now that now when, he, when he's asked to turn around and play something by, you know, Vinny... It is a vastly different style of playing, especially in the lead end of things, right? And maybe it was just never a style that he was comfortable with back even in the 80s. Maybe he never played that way. I'm not too familiar with black and blue material, so I couldn't really tell you if he was even remotely, you know, using Lloyd Rose whammy bars and stuff like that back then. I don't think he did, but, you know, it's once you're in that style of playing... It, it's tougher for some players to pick up on those stylizations and make it sound just like somebody like Vinny would have played it, right? So, if anything, I agree with you guys that that's probably his one weakness is that he's, he's a little stuck in style as far as lead playing goes. Um, as far as the whole putting his own style on studio records, I mean... What 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 his own style? He's been ace for the last fifteen years. That that is his style, right? So, you know, un- until he's able to do something that doesn't involve kiss, only then will we truly see what his style is, right? So, I I think that's a very important thing to point out because because he's been in that role and even doing the tribute bands even before that, he's been playing this role for so long that I that that sound is his sound now you know so that that's how i kind of look at it right um as far as the guitar thing i mean he does have an endorsement deal for epiphone right and i'm sure it could have been it is probably coexisting with gibson in some manner as well and he has it with hughes and katner um you're able and this might sound kind of odd but you're more able to make a unique amplifier then you are probably able to make more of a unique guitar, I think, these days, because the, the, unless you went to some really radically different shaped body of a guitar, then really, what can you do? You can change pickups, you can change different woods, different fretboard things, maybe change the headstock a bit, right? And and really, you know, if you go out and say, my new, my new custom series has EMG 1987 pickups in it instead of 1981s, most people are going to be like, I don't even know what he's talking about, right? So, I I think that if you're gonna if he wants to make something really stylistic to himself, he has to do something really blatantly obvious, like how Vinny did the double V, right? I mean, that stood out like a sore thumb when he came out with that guitar, right? So, I don't know, like that that to me doesn't really bother me so much that he doesn't have his own signature, like guitar that looks only to his kind of styling I think it's cool that he has an amplifier that's that way because it's, it looks really cool I like the way they designed it with all this kind of like the almost like neon kind of stuff on the front panel and stuff it's that's really cool 
And you know, and, and plus the problem with signature stuff, whether it's a guitar or amp, is as soon as you put someone's name on it, you increase it by a thousand dollars in price. So all of a sudden, an eight hundred dollar amplifier is now almost two thousand dollars because his name is on it, right? So, but uh, you know, getting back to the other thing, I think that there's no real negative I can say about Tommy. I think he's done a great job, and I hope he continues to be involved as he is and continues to help them out any way he can. And I think. Tommy, Tommy, there's just nothing bad I can say about him. I, I think he, he's tops in my book. Good work, Tommy. Hey, Mark, uh, you're talking about the double V guitar. Maybe he could have done a, he could do a uh, double T. <laughs> double Tommy. Uh, oh, yeah, Tommy you know Tommy, what? Right? Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, because who did that? Uh, somebody did a kind of, there's been a few guitars like that, but like a cheap trick, they had that. Oh, seven net, seven net guitar. <laughs> yeah. Right. That was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Mott the Hoople had that 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 H guitar, didn't they? Like uh, the guy in Mott the Hoople had the H, right? And there's all kinds of different things you can do. But I mean, could you imagine him coming out on stage with Kiss with something like that? They probably look at him and go, "What the hell is that?" You know, like right. they're so traditional in their sense that you know the Ace character can't be seen on stage without a Les Paul. I think at this point, you know. Yeah, probably true. But if if nothing else, you could at least come up with a color scheme a little bit more, uh, you know, than Ace's sparkly silver lame, which obviously was a very strong element of Kiss's costumes. So it ties in white lightning. I'm sorry. Um, I, I have no problem with the guitar. I have a problem with its name, and that's just because of De- uh, Def Leppard and uh, Steve Clark, White Lightning. Yeah. And, and that's just a personal thing most people wouldn't give a shit out about or know. But, you know, maybe he, he could do something in that realm. And like you said about the pickups, no one's going to care. You know, the play, the players will, and they're not the ones who are generally buying these, these products, as I'm evidence of, because I'm not a proper player. I'm a noodler. No. So um, let's wrap up this episode with final thoughts on Tommy. Anything that I've skipped uh, that you want to bring up, uh, apart from my, my final thing is he looks good now. Wearing Ace's bodysuit from the Elder Era, that's finally found a home where it works. He doesn't look like uh, Poroshki when Ace was wearing it. Uh, Ace was a little bloaty at that time. <laughs> so Tommy looks good. He finally has the makeup fitting his face properly. And, you know, he's still a guy who's keeping the band moving forward. I, I don't doubt that, you know, if he quit, they would throw someone else in makeup, perhaps. But I think with everything else that he's done for the band over the years, I am actually thankful that he's been there. Because as someone, again, who didn't get to see the band as much in the, you know, the, when I was growing up, um, he's made it possible for me to see the vast majority of my shows with the band. And... I've also mentioned previously one of my favorite memories of Tommy is him zooming around in, I think it was Roseville or Marysville on the farewell tour and delivering tickets at, yeah, to the person I was with and they ended up being front row for the for the farewell. So that was, you know, one of the, my cool memories of Tommy even though I didn't interact with him directly. So, you know, my final message to Tommy would be thank you. And obviously he doesn't let the haters go to his head in any ways. He's able to kind of F them and move on and <laughs> ignore them, which which is exactly how it should be because he's living the dream. He's doing it, and hopefully he's enjoying it. Chris, what's your final thoughts or on Tommy? Hard worker behind the scenes. Appreciate everything he's done. I, I'll, I respect the guy's musical vocabulary in the sense of when he's doing ace i don't really care for what he does when he's not ace but uh 
I, I personally don't like having imitations. I would have gone a different route, but you can't argue with the success that Paul and Gene know what they're doing. It's their band. They decide this is the route to go. Uh, the, the only thing I would like to see out of him would be maybe a smidge more humility towards Ace. I think he sometimes likes to throw a few little jabs in there in interviews. And if you're going to make your career ripping off someone else, you really should bend over backwards <laughs> to praise that guy because he doesn't have a living today without Ace. And without Ace's act, where's Tommy Thayer today? He's just a guy who was in black and blue 40 years ago or whatever, and who cares? You know, so, but, but other than that, he, he tries for the most part to toe the line, but you do see occasionally that it, it does rub him occasionally with, with the, the grief that he gets at some points. But it would be nice to see him be a little more praising towards Ace. And I'm sure they had their backstage things with each other. I'm sure Ace got his nerves. We know Peter hates him for God knows whatever reason. Peter can't stand him. <laughs> But, but uh, let's. It would just be nice to see a little bit more from him to say, you know what? Yeah, I'm. I'm just trying to do this role justice, as opposed to well, I'm the space man. This is my, you know, my gig. It would just be nice to see a little bit more genuine affinity and affection towards Ace and for everything he did, and thank you for my career and that kind of stuff. That that would be nice. But other than that, he's he's doing his job. He's keeping the train rolling. As you said before, if it wasn't him, Tommy Thayer could fall off this earth tomorrow. And they will slap another guy up there, dress him up as Ace, and business will carry on. Hose it down, nothing to see here. We got a, a new guy doing the role. <laughs> so uh, he, he's doing the best he can under his role, and good for him. Let's see how much longer the band can carry on. Yep, Mark. Yeah, well, I think that he's done a fantastic job and is still doing a fantastic job. I personally believe and with all due respect to my good buddy Chris there that I, I think that if he did leave the band I think it would have it would affect them slightly more than we probably think that he probably would never allow us to see that or to know that but I think that he has a little bit more influence in the background than we probably think but you know I think you're right if somebody else came in and replaced him performance wise they could do it obviously but I think that he's doing a great job uh, I think that as time goes on, I think hopefully less and less tomatoes will be slung his way, and I think that he's see, to to me I just respect the hell out of him because I like I said before, having been in sort of this a similar position going into a situation where you had to appease people, I kind of understand what it's like, and the whole bit with him maybe slinging a few arrows Ace's way. I mean, I, I almost kind of look at it that way that it, he, they could have maybe just caught him on a bad day. I mean, who knows what's going on with the guy, you know, behind the scenes before he did the interview or who knows. But, you know, yeah, of course, he should he should show some respect to the to, to Ace as well. I mean, that's that's obvious, you know. But I just kind of get the feeling that Tommy is that kind of guy anyways. He just comes across to me as such a nice guy. I mean, I, I can just see that kind of a situation being a one-off. I don't hear many times that he's been rude about things about other people so you know i'll give him the benefit of the doubt right so tommy if you watch good job dude keep it up and uh you know come on the show we love you yeah yeah righteous <laughs> uh ken final thoughts on tommy yeah i just say tommy thanks for all the hard work and all the years you put in and in the uh doing the kiss thing and and keeping it going and you know i just wish him the best and and i hope uh you know the future you know provides good things for him uh in kiss and maybe you know whatever happens uh, you know after and out of kiss um i just hope it all 
works out. Good guy. I just just thank you for everything you've done. Yeah, I'm just hopping on to Kiss Online to see if they uh, celebrated Tommy's 15th anniversary yet. So, uh, just I'm sorry, still scrolling down. <laughs> merchandise. Uh, um, no, more merchandise. More, yeah, more merchandise. <laughs> they had that cool, <laughs> that that cool pinball machine uh, cake from the Cake Boss or the Cake. There's the cake. Yeah, yeah, there's that cake. That was insane. So I've got to go to page two. So they obviously don't have stickies on Kiss Online. But uh, does Tommy get an extra week off uh, for being 15 years or? <laughs> Or, or, or <laughs> so no, uh, no, they have they have not celebrated Tommy. So I would say oh. kiss online. You got to celebrate your boy. Simple as that. Um, yeah, we've yeah. we've tried to pay him some respect today and celebrate. You know, fifteen years of history that have continued after the fact. Obviously, we have touched on some of the the pluses and the minuses. You know, which come with all of us in life. Um, no disrespect was intended by touching on any of the things we'd like to see him do better or that we don't think he does well. And Tommy, for any of these things, if you've got, if you build up a list and you want to come on and just talk about those one by one, you know, we'd love to have you on and talk about other aspects of your musical career. I think it, it could be a, a really fun episode, but you know, obviously we're small fresh fish and uh, not in print. Everyone else out there, we do appreciate you listening. You know, chime in on this topic. I mean, uh, don't turn it into a sludge fest because we don't want to go there. It, it's all been said. It's all been heard. It's all water under the bridge. Let's get back to reality. And that kiss is still around making music and that Tommy is a part of that band making music. So I like to hear from people on Facebook or on the FAQ message board, wherever you listen to this show, of what Tommy has meant to you over the years. You know, what is your personal history with Tommy? Have you enjoyed, you know, him being up on stage, seeing him grow as a performer <coughs> in that role? You know, what have you liked that he's done? I, you know, where where has he most impressed you? You know, what are the things that you would celebrate about someone who's given so many years of his life to a band that we all profess to care about a lot? So, you know, do uh, do chime in with your opinions. We'd love to hear them and have a conversation about them. You know, but for now, for Ken, for Mark, for Chris, we thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for spending time listening to the Kiss FAQ podcast today. All sales are final. There are no refunds. If you'd like, look us up on Facebook or come over to the KISS FAQ message board and discuss the topic we've broadcast today. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes, Spreaker, or wherever you've listened to the show. We hope you'll join us again.